welcome to Turn Yourself Into a Booked Out Freelance Translator. My name is Jason, and this podcast is dedicated to helping passionate and ambitious freelance translators invoice their first 20,000 euros faster by niching down, marketing bravely to direct clients, and achieving higher fees, all without sacrificing their weekends and saying yes to every single job. If you aspire to wanting more clients and higher profits without saying yes to every project and longer working days, this podcast is dedicated to you. Hello, 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 and welcome to yet another edition, episode of Turn Yourself Into a Booked Out Freelance Translator. And today is a special day. I'm feeling very excited because for the first time, a family friend is joining me on the episode. It's not a colleague. It's not somebody I've met through work. Nicholas Eyre is somebody I've met through one of my hobbies, my choral singing. Um, some of you may or might know I've, I've been a chorister in my day. And Nicholas and I have spent more time standing next to each other singing Bach cantatas and uh, various requiems and masses than we have discussing work. So, Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for your time. How are you? I'm fine, Jason. Nice to be with you today, although it's virtual. It's great to see you, and uh, I appreciate your your time and doing this uh, and putting up with technological challenges. So... I suppose the the main reason I invited you to come on the the podcast was my my ears pricked up visibly when uh, or at least metaphorically when you told me you you teach leadership you're a part time lecturer at the Rey Juan Carlos University here in Madrid where we both live could you talk a little please to your to your leadership lectures and what exactly do you do you teach your students you're working with the international tourism program students is that correct are they postgraduates are they undergraduates they're postgraduates it's a master's program um in tourism and it's a it's a good program i'm very proud of what we do and it's very varied and i teach management and leadership the first question is can leadership be taught and that is a a fundamental question and i'm not sure of the answer but we can teach people the kind of skills or we can at least expose them to the kind of skills that they will need as future managers and leaders and that's what i try to do how, how many hours a week do you teach uh, not very often we teach uh, this is a, a module i'm teaching 12 hours in this particular module and in 12 hours actually you can do quite a lot um and what i try to do is expose the students to the concepts and i always tell them the concepts involving in management and in leadership the concepts themselves are very simple the application of the concepts is the thing that sets us apart and and it and is very difficult to do as we see in the world around us mm. so i give um a little bit of input on things like negotiating skills dealing with conflict um um running meetings, all the kind of things that managers and leaders have to do. But then what I try to do is to give a lot of practical, fun exercises, role plays, um, pair group, work, group, pair work, group work, so that people can experience the actual um, uh, experience in negotiation, experience conflict management, experience managing a difficult meeting. Mm. Could you talk a little bit more about the negotiation skills? I mean, what what kind of uh, that's something we talk about quite frequently on the podcast. Is it a less adver adversarial? 
do you teach a win-win mindset to get the best out of a deal for both parties? We, I think what you have to do is to enable these, these students are 24, 22, 23, 24. They have plenty of experience of negotiating in life, negotiating in the family, negotiating at school, negotiating at university, you know, sports clubs, um, work. They have done plenty of it. Um, but probably intuitively. So we try to give them uh, the tools, part, uh, firstly, to understand their own style. And I remember one particular student who was extremely aggressive and he actually got very good results. And he was a very nice boy, but he was horribly aggressive. And uh, it was it was fun to watch and uh, obviously sparked off the other students. And didn't always get the result that they wanted. That can be a good thing when they don't get the result that they want, when neither side gets a result. Mm. And that can be a very good learning experience. So but, you mean a, a lose-lose dynamic? Where yeah, if you get, get if, if both lose and they, they look at each other and they look sad and they look confused and they, and they think about why they lost and how they maybe could have changed their styles or changed their attitude and done it differently. Could you give an example of the type of role play you set up? Is it a, is it a work meeting like negotiation? Is there something they are at stake that they need to to negotiate to have on their side, or is it a, is it a monetary deal? Or it can exactly be. I have different ones that I've developed. I'll, I'll give you one from the world of music because that might amuse you. Uh, working in pairs, one of them is the impresario of an opera house who's trying to contract an opera singer who is because he's at short notice has 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 um the you know the, the 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 person who was going to do the role has dropped out the other is the opera singer who is very much rather old and past it and is not getting any work and so they have to negotiate um a price maybe a number of performances and the students who do it really well are the ones who open that's you know the open the negotiation that's always what mm -hmm. we what we try to teach, isn't it? You know, yes. maybe you can get more deals. Maybe you can um, open just the, the Cipro monetary negotiation to something wider and more beneficial for both sides. And I remember in one case, uh, the students just, oh, no, I'm not going to do it for this money. I'm not going to employ you for this money and uh, just failed. And most of them do um, succeed. And it's quite interesting to see the different uh, results that they, that they give. So they establish a no way, Jose, a sort of bottom line below which they're not willing to go. Well, some do. I mean, we teach them all those things that you learn on, you know, the management training courses, you know, write down your list of options, write down perhaps your bottom line, your, you, where you really want to get to your, your ideal solution. Do the same thing for the opponent or I shouldn't say opponent for your, for the person you're negotiating with. Um, I don't find people tend to do that. I think they, they jump straight into the negotiation, and that's partly deliberate mm. because it, it's supposed to be fun. I, I took a careful look at the documents you sent me to prep for, for our conversation. I mean, how, how specifically do you empower students to get the best out of themselves? You're effectively in a, in a coach. You're obviously a, a university lecturer. You're in a coach-like situation. How do you specifically empower these are students in their early 20s, so they're, they're embarking on the 40-year 
40 years of their career or whatever it is, 80,000 hours, I think it is, a usual and average career. How do you specifically convey personal motivation and and empower them to get the best out of themselves, which is effectively your role? That's what I want to do. And if I, I could be critical of the university system in Spain and in many countries, a lot of it is based on boring lectures, which you find the students are switching off after 10, 15 minutes. And uh, I'm not interested in showing my knowledge, although I'm happy to um, share anything I can with them. I want them to develop themselves. How do I do it? I don't, I'm not entirely sure, but it's <laughs> through, I think it's through this kind of facilitation, mm. through giving them um, games, role plays, areas where they can discuss and trying to help them to understand their own motivations and their own and their own skills and their own weaknesses. And it doesn't always work because sometimes they don't take the things very seriously. They mess around, but very often it does. And um, mm -hmm. so I try to, uh, I try to have a plethora of material, uh, you know, have too much, try things out. So the material is not the point of it. The point of it is, how they use the material to to understand themselves. I think self-knowledge is probably one of the most important things, one of the things that we probably didn't have when we went into management. And maybe, I don't know if we had it when we left management, really, sometimes. But it's, so it's you're, vital. You're talking about knowing yourself and your your relationship with others, I suppose, to, to get the best. I mean, on that note, what what is a... What is um, one of your, perhaps one of something you thought as a flaw, a priori, that you now see as a strength, given your knowledge now and looking to your younger self? Do you see a pattern or something previously you saw as a weakness that is now a strength or vice versa? I think uh, as you get older, you you people say you get more mellow and you, you uh, um, in, in lots of positions, um, important positions you really want quite a younger you know a young a youngish person person in sort of 40 something like that because they have the energy and they often have the aggression um to succeed and and, and you know that's not a very fashionable thing to say but uh, being aggressive or being um positive if you want to call it like that is an important uh, key to being successful in business and in life especially if you can channel it in a way which is you know not harmful Mm. I'm in my late 40s. Am I still young by that definition? Well, partly you could say you're as young as you feel, Jason. And uh, <laughs> I think that's very important. And I certainly myself feel quite young. And I think you are too. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you foster time management and personal efficiency? Something else I picked up on. These are These are very important things. I think time management is a key to success. It's something I talked about on the podcast actually last week, my last solo episode was dedicated to time management and personal efficiency. How do you how do you foster that specifically in, in people or how do you attempt to foster it? Um, yeah, we have I have a, a a little module on meetings and my first the first thing I say to the students is that meetings are nearly always a waste of time and avoid them at all costs. Um, <laughs> and I asked them a question a few classes later about meetings, they said, yes, the answer is don't have them. So I, I realized that the message had got through. Um, I, there is an awful lot of time wasted at work. And I don't mean 
in work like yours, Jason, I mean work like, you know, people in companies. There's a lot of time chatting and um, True. and answering unnecessary emails and making unnecessary telephone calls. And, and that can that also, not only does it impinge on your own um, efficiency, it also impinges on other people's. Wasting your own time is bad enough, but wasting other people's time is, I, I, I think, is, is shocking. Uh, having said that, a lot of uh, good ideas are, you know, can develop through sharing in informal situations, and you never know if it's just going to be uh, informal chat or if, if some wonderful idea is, come, is going to come out uh, uh, as a result. But um, there is an awful lot of time wasted in companies, and and that, and that, that is is a problem really, and it's a problem I don't think the companies particularly care about. I think they. Many, many companies enjoy the idea of having a meeting or they feel they're controlling their employees better or they're mm. doing something useful. Mm. Uh, it is a personal, um, one of my, you know, hobby horses. So <laughs> not everybody would agree, but there is a lot of truth in it, I think, Jason. So you, I mean, you have a clear trajectory as a manager within the British Council. You were managing, obviously, yourself, other teachers. How... Did you make a conscious decision to go into management? Is it, is it something you fell into through your career? Yeah, I, I don't think I felt, I think I wanted to do it. Um, I had a student uh, in the um, MA, you know, the master's course, and we did a particular, I have a particularly nasty role play where they have to do um, a, a negotiation between management and a union. And this girl said, I hate doing this. I feel dirty. I feel disgusted. I want to go into, uh, I want to be a cook. And I said <laughs> to her, you will have a much easier life as a manager, even though it's hard. And she smiled. <laughs> I hope she did well. She was a lovely girl. So I, I wanted to be a manager. Yes, I like managing things. I like making things work. It's uh, personal. Mm. It's a thing that I, I enjoy doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm conscious of your time. Let, let's move to a couple of uh, audience poll questions. Is there a favorite uh, book or tool you would recommend in a, in a work context, a favorite tool you like or have managed to leverage or something you, you're you quite fond of? particularly. I've done quite a lot of courses. I was lucky working for the British Council. Mm. And so, you know, there are a lot of tools and you can find them in management textbooks or you can look for them up on the internet there's a lot of stuff yeah. and as i say management is quite a simple the, the concept is really quite simple and a lot of the tools are are, are quite simple that that doesn't mean they're not useful they often are very useful sticks or carrots which uh which method works better and why sticks oh, or that's carrots? A, no no you have to you have to know how to use all those things um you try not. You, I, I, there are, yeah. They, they talk about the pull push managers. I, I tend to be a, a pull manager. Draw it out of them. Edu, you know, education, educare, bring out, rather than push. That is my personal philosophy. But uh, it, you know, you can be successful using different, different tools and different ways of, uh, of interacting with people. And and so, and to be a good manager or a good leader, you have to be able to use all of them. You know, you'll be with better analogy, than others. Could Sorry. we extrapolate push-pull to pull is the carrot and push is the stick? Is that could, the I suppose it could be, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the best business advice you've ever received or, or perhaps given other people? Oh, Have I, you uh, imparted uh, a pearl of wisdom or, or something <laughs> to your students or 
have you received some interesting business advice? Um, I would say it's what I said before. It's, you know, it's understanding yourself, your strengths and weaknesses and how mm. you are. And, so you and, would advocate um, a firm SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, that that's that kind of important. thing. And do it, you know, quite often because you'll find that things change over time or different tools will give you slightly different results. Um, but it's amazing how, how uh, we can discover things that may surprise us. There's, you know, 360 degree feedback. There are, mm. you know, personality tests. I use some, some of them with the students. We plot their personality maybe on a chart and this one is more aggressive and this one is more, is, is, is more um, conciliatory and those kind of things. They, you can sometimes be quite surprised. Uh, you know, you think I am this kind of person and maybe you're not, or maybe you're not as much as you think. Mm-hmm. What what is one of your beliefs that other people look askance at, or what is one of their beliefs that you perhaps think is crazy? Could you give an example of something? Well, I could say that um, yeah, all meetings are a waste of time and should be abolished. Mm-hmm. I found it interesting today. There was a meeting of NATO uh, ministers in Brussels, I think, and I'm sure something useful, I hope something useful will come out as a result of that. And organizations like NATO, where everybody has to agree, um, it's vital and it's boring and it's it, it, it's the only way to get any progress. So, so there are, there are, there are, um, there are occasions when, when, you know, when, when it's necessary, a lot of a lot of politics, I think, involves sitting and listening to people that you don't agree with and not mm. actually listening to what they're saying. Yeah. Sure, and I'm sure there's a lot of inefficiency in organizations. They become more dysfunctional purely based on the number of layers of people you add. The more people there are, the more dysfunctional, just like a family or any group of people or or any, any particular collective uh, I suppose it's collective responsibility and individual responsibility. I'm I'm quite good working on my own, and I think you are as well. From from what you're saying, I dislike meetings myself. I try and keep them down as much as I can. Obviously, I have to meet clients occasionally to discuss their needs and how I can best help them. But I I do agree that a lot of time is wasted in meetings, and the more they are kept to a minimum, the better. Yeah, I think obviously the other thing that um, has become very important is, you know, diversity, that um, organizations tend to mirror themselves. They tend to recruit people in their own image and strong organizations are more diverse, bring in um, more types of people, more more points of view, and they can be stronger as a result. And that's quite difficult to do because there's a lot of uh, lip service to diversity. Mm. Just a couple more rapid-fire questions before I uh, don't want to impinge on your time too much. If you could have a blank billboard anywhere, just purely blank, say on Sunset Boulevard or one of these big highways, what would you what would you write on it? If you could get a message out to millions of people with a huge billboard, what what would that message be? What a question. Um, it's not as bad as you think. Oh, that's good. I like that. I like that. It's not as bad as you think. And any any take home message for our, for our audience. So our audience is basically comprised of freelance translators, obviously my my tribe, freelance interpreters. Hopefully, there may be some copywriters, 
I hope there would be some early career linguists in their early 20s, about the same age as your students. What, what, what is your take-home message, or do you have an ask of our audience starting think, out their careers? I think I would say, in your case, because you're working on your own, go against my own particular advice and my own particular ideas, make a network terribly important to make a network and mm. um, it can sometimes just be for fun for social reasons but if you make a network you will establish contacts and you will meet other people they may help you you may help them be generous with what you can give and other people may be generous to, to you don't um, you know don't hold back give what you can I think actually being generous in business something which is underrated and it can be it can lead to you know quite a lot of success absolutely yeah i love the way these episodes interlink because uh, again professional vip network is something we talk about it is a lesson in my course become a booked out freelance translator another podcast guest has discussed the importance of professional networking nicholas air thank you so much for joining me it's very kind of you we uh, i very grateful for your insights and uh, your experience. And that's the end of the episode. Until next time, stay on your game and keep shooting for those lofty goals. Bye for now. Bye, Jason. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to click the little plus sign on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify to make sure you get new episodes on your device every single week. <laughs>